It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. And welcome back to a very special episode of the Standing Room Spartans podcast. Your host, Kevin Parker, as always. And today, uh, we're going to have a lot of fun with this one. We have a really interesting topic. But before we get to that, just want to welcome everybody in. If it's your first time listening, thank you so much for joining us. Make sure you hit that back catalog. We got some fun stuff uh, in there for you. And if you're coming back for your second, third, fourth, fifth episode, Thanks for the support. Make sure you keep telling your friends about it. You know, it's, it's really exciting to see this thing grow. Um, today, uh, we'll welcome back my good friend and colleague, Scott Martin. And we're going to be talking about, uh, we, we got a question on the, the Apple podcast review section about basically looking at uh, Mel Tucker's future with Michigan State uh, from the Chicago Bronco. And, you know, we, we already did the, the first episode was kind of breaking down Mel Tucker and some of the things he likes to do and his coaching philosophies. Um, so I wanted to take a little bit of a different approach with this. And, and basically what we're doing here is we're fast forwarding to the year 2025, five years from now, and giving us four different scenarios. Uh, scenario one, that we are a college football playoff contender, you know, thinking about when we were back in 2013, 14, 15, where any given year we had a real chance to win the conference and go to the playoff. Our second tier here is we're a seven to 10 win team, kind of about what you can imagine Michigan being right now, um, where, where they're in the boat where they're not, truly nationally considered a real contender for the playoff, but the, the program's in a good place. They're, they're not going to have a bad year. They're going to win, you know, upwards of double digit games just about every season. Um, our third tier here is, is somewhere between five to eight wins a year. And we're, we're a decent big 10 team. We're winning a big game here and there every couple of years, but basically by November, we're, we're not really contending for the conference. And the last tier is that by 2025, that Mel Tucker has been fired uh, and, and did not make the you know full tenure of his first year contract or his, his first contract at Michigan State. So that's kind of what we're working with here. Let's welcome in again my, my good buddy, Scott. How are we doing today? Good, Kevin. Thanks for having me. I was uh, not expecting to be back on so soon, but uh, yeah, excited for this one. Yeah, it should should be exciting. And, 
you know, we'll see if we can make this a, uh, a regular occurrence, uh, bringing you in here, but like I said, we got, we got a pretty fun episode here. So, um, I, I think we got an interesting couple scenarios to play around with, but you know, the, just wanted to start looking at Mel Tucker's contract. He is, it's a six year deal signed through 2026, uh, about five and a half million average per year. There's a lot of incentives in there to, you know, to win the conference, to go to the conference championship game, to go to a New Year's Six Bowl, to go to a playoff and, and all this kind of stuff. So, you know, there are some pretty big money incentives in there, uh, you know, in a hypothetical situation where we win the conference and go to a playoff, he can tack on, you know, about an extra million dollars onto that deal. So um, a lot of incentives in there, you know, you look at the schedule over the next over the next few years. And, you know, obviously when you're kind of looking at what our success can be, you know, the schedule over the next five years, Scott, is, is there anything that really stands out to you, whether it's in the non-conference, whether it's, you know, the, the way the conference slate plays out? Yeah. I mean, you look at the next, you know, we, I think we have our next six uh, non-conference slates um, finished up or, or scheduled at this point. And as you look at that, you know, this year, you got probably the toughest year through 2025 in the non-conference. Obviously we don't know what those teams will be, but just, you know, given that high tier group of five teams and a couple of power five teams that mix in, I mean, this year with BYU and Miami and obviously a, a stronger Mac team in Toledo, I think this first year, uh, it'll be a good measuring stick in the non-conference. I think it's, it's good to get that out of the way the next few years. Um, you know, if we are in that first tier trying to get into a playoff, it may not, bolster our resume too much but at least hopefully we'll be you know tacking on a few wins early in the year uh looking out to 2026 that's really the first time you get an opponent in the non-conference that's really you know really scary uh in Notre Dame obviously we don't know what they'll be in six years but um you know from now until then you know we should be making it through the non-conference um assuming you know we're in those first two tiers we should be looking pretty good coming into the conference play yeah we get the home and home against Miami we got a home and home against Boise State coming up there you know Boston College teams that you know with where Miami's at right now they're a good program but they're definitely beatable Boise you know like you said it's a group of five team but you know they're they're good year in year out Boston College is is probably on the bottom end of that but um, some interesting non-conference games. And then obviously we know with the way our schedule plays out every other year, we got Michigan and Ohio state at home or on the road. Um, you know, the, with the way the East plays out, we don't play Wisconsin a whole lot over the next few years. I think we play them in 2022. Um, but you know, we, we missed them on the schedule a couple times and uh you know it, it it plays out pretty well you know we kind of mentioned before the podcast is the 2022 season is kind of one where if if we're really going to break through to that to that top tier that would maybe be a year where the schedule sets up pretty nicely for us at penn state is a tough game we you know we get wisconsin but we get them at home Michigan, Ohio State, both at home. You know, we play Western and Akron, a couple of, you know, very beatable MAC teams. And then we go at Boise, which, you know, again, it, it's not necessarily going to be the, hey, you went and beat Texas or something. But, you know, when you look at contending for a New Year's Six Bowl or something like that, going on the road to Boise, that, that's a game that you can definitely circle on the schedule and say, you know, they, they beat a good team on the road in the non conference. So, 
Um, you know, you go past that again, you know, let's kind of get into this. So we, you know, we talked about the four tiers that, that we're going to bring into this conversation. And the first tier is, is the one I want to start with here. The first tier being that we are a true college football playoff contender. And, and we know with the landscape of college football that you have your Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, Georgia, you could probably put in there maybe LSU. You have a tier that's so far away from the rest of college football that I don't think it's really fair to even bring up the possibility that we're truly competing for a title, right? But, you know, I wanted to bring in that, that we're competing for a playoff spot. I think that's an important distinction. Um, when, when you look at that possibility of, of really contending the way we were in 13, 14, 15, what are one or two things really that stand out to you, Scott, that, um, that you have your eye on where if we get to that point, this needs to happen? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's easy to say everything has to go right. Obviously, you know, we're going to need all of our most of our coaching hires anyway to uh, to pan out. Uh, we need the players to buy in. We need to find some talent in these recruiting classes that maybe uh, isn't shining, you know, in the group right now. But I think when I just look at how how would MSU you know, make a playoff. You got to look back at, at how we did it, you know, in 2015, how we were competing for those titles. And in the big 10, everybody knows everything, you know, runs through Columbus. So if, if we're really trying to get, you know, a spot in the playoff um, and contending for that spot, it, it means beating Ohio state, whether that means Ohio, somehow Ohio state comes down a little bit, although their recruiting is not alluding to that, or, you know, we're, we're probably more than likely going to have to go scrap out a couple of D'Antonio esque uh, upsets, whether that's in Columbus or at home, but we're, you know, going to have to play to our scheme, whatever that becomes and, and just, you know, not make any mistakes, get through Ohio state a couple of times. And, you know, we were talking about this too, before the podcast, I think, what really needs to happen. I mean, if it, if, if that's going to happen in Mel Tucker's first two, three, four years, some, we're going to need help from our division as well. I mean, whether it's Penn state or Michigan, like someone's got to be putting losses on Ohio state's schedule other than us. Right. Because we need to give these top tier four or five star recruits in our region, a reason not to go to Ohio state, or at least a reason to come to us. And as long as Ohio state's making the playoff every year or, at least winning the conference every year, Ohio State's going to have their pick of the crop. You know, yeah, so, that, that gap just keeps on growing. The the past few years, the the gap between a Penn State and an Ohio State or a Michigan and Ohio State, wherever it was two or three years ago, I think I think that's continued to expand. So uh, yeah, I think that's a good point. Is you got to you got to get some guys who can take a little bit of the sting out of that where you're spreading out some of those five stars. You're spreading out some of those four stars in the region. So that's definitely a big one is, you know, looking at Ohio state kind of coming down a little bit. Um, you know, as, as far as when we look at one thing that I kind of had circled is in this year, right in, in 2020, I think if we're going to get to that stage under Mel Tucker, this season has to be we we can't take that that three four five win season i know vegas has us projected at four and a half right now um is the over under and and that can't happen if if we really want to compete uh over the first five years of his tenure this has to be a season where we win 
six, seven games, get to a bowl game. You know, they, when you look at the schedule, and, and we kind of talked about this before as well, there's, you know, there's been a lot of this groupthink, I think, that's come on since Mel Tucker's been hired, where I think maybe at the beginning, and, and Sky, you can speak to this too, is at the beginning of this, I, I don't know if the the outlook was so bleak as it is right now. I think now it's basically gotten to a point where it's like, Hey, if Mel Tucker brings us to a bowl game, man, I'm, I'm naming my first son Mel because he must have done a hell of a job. Like, there's no way we can do that. And I don't know, like, you try to look back, it was only a couple months ago, but I, I don't know if the outlook was that bleak even, even back to, like, December, January, February. Like, do, do you remember what, what that was like? Or, you know, why yeah, I mean, has it become so, such a terrible outlook on this season? Look, you know, when you hired a guy like Mel Tucker, you know, he won five games at Colorado in his first year. That alone is, you know, to me, evidence to the fact that five wins for us year one is not out of the ballpark. I mean, you're talking about a Colorado team that consistently cannot bring recruits in and he did an okay job, you know, in the class that some would say he abandoned, but that is coming into Colorado. (laughs) Now he had some good recruits in there, but you know, all in all, he was playing a different scheme from the guys who were, you know, playing it. Uh, that what they were used to and looking at you know Michigan State now when he came in there was excitement but it almost felt like we had been you know we came out of D'Antonio's good years we had been basically getting you know going up and down more down than up lately in the last couple years and it felt like the whole MSU fan base kind of just wanted to take a breath and they're almost resigning themselves to taking a year off to say listen I'll watch the games but you know I'm not going to put any expectations on this year because it's been kind of exhausting the last two, three, four years to try to get excited about the program. And, and so it, it almost, I think felt easier for a lot of people to say, you know what, let's just, you know, see what happens, but let's not make any uh, expectations for, for Mel in year one. And um, I think that's losing sight of the possibilities. I'm not saying we're going to win eight games this year, but let's say, you know, one of these quarterback um one of these quarterbacks works out year one, you know, he's not, I mean, he's not going to be a lead. You're not going to find the next Joe Burrow this year, but let's say it works out to the point that, you know, you have a serviceable big 10 starter in that spot. And I think the whole outlook changes. We've got great young talent coming in at wide receiver, obviously Jalen Reed coming from Western. You've got Jalen Naylor, who, if he can stay healthy, has as, you know, as much speed as anyone in the big 10, Trey Mosley, Trey Botton Morgan. I mean, we've got guys they can throw it to Gillison's shown flashes at tight end. Our offensive line coach, by all accounts, sounds like he's going to be a stud. And we've got this great young crop of talent coming in in the offensive line. So, you know, a lot of people are saying, oh, this year the offense, there's no chance. If we get a quarterback to hit, I'm not putting it out of the question that we make a bowl game, you know, and that we give some of these better teams a good fight throughout the season. Yeah, and that's, I, you know, I had a couple things circled, but one of them was, of course, finding a quarterback. And that the most important position in sports probably is, is quarterback. And and if you find one that's serviceable, at least, yeah, I, I don't see any reason why, when you look at the schedule, I mean, I, I kind of broke it down as, you know, again, if we're going to be a contender, you have to have a good year right out of the gates. And you look at some games, Northwestern, BYU, Toledo, Rutgers, Maryland, those are five games that I could argue very easily that should be wins. Not even that like, yeah, we could win those that, that should be wins. You know, we're a, 
not too far away from a college football playoff berth. Our program should be able to beat those five. And then you look at, okay, Miami, Iowa, Michigan, Ohio State, Indiana, Minnesota, Penn State. Of course, none of those are going to be easy wins. Of course, we're probably not going to be favored in any of those games. But all you got to do is win one of those games and you go to a bowl game. So I don't think it's out of the question, but you mentioned finding a quarterback. Obviously, that's going to be super important to getting to this contention level. Um, and, and ideally, you know, with something that I mentioned too, I'm, I'm not a big Rocky Lombardi fan uh, I, for many reasons. But one of them is if we really want to be a contender, I think it has to be one of these young guys who can step up. Because when you look at Michigan State and when we've been good, Kirk Cousins was a three-year starter. Connor Cook was a three-year starter. We, we can't get a guy in here who's, who's going to be in and out. He's, you know, we got to find another one after two years. We're going to need one of these guys, whether it's Peyton Thorne, whether it's Theo Day, one of the guys coming in, whether you know Hampton Frays is a guy we have committed next year who has some buzz. I think it's got to be one of these young guys who can step up and start for a couple of years. And yeah, if it's Peyton Thorne or Theo Day this year, they can come in, show that they have some promise, win us six, seven games. That's going to be huge. And and another thing in 2020 is that I circled is is just being competitive in every game. And that's going to be something that's big for recruiting. That's big for everything is, we can't go in this year against the, you know, if we get blown up, blown out against Ohio State, so be it. But against your Michigan, Iowa, Penn State, I, those games can't be blowouts, right? The, those right. games have to be competitive into the third and fourth quarter. If we lose them, so be it. But you have to be competitive in those games. And then, you know, that that kind of can catapult us into a 2021 season where, like you mentioned, we get some of these young skill player uh, skill players involved, uh, whether it's the wide receivers. The, this 2019 class of offensive linemen is a lot of promise. Obviously, yeah. Devontae Dobbs is the headliner. But, you know, you look at some of these DBs that we have, uh, the, the young guys we have on the roster, and then you have a guy like Darius Snow coming in. Um, obviously Eli Collins is only a redshirt sophomore. He's got a couple more years. He's shown a lot of promise at the running back spot. So, you know, if, if this 2020 season pans out to a, to a bowl game, and let's say we win a bowl game, get some momentum into next year. If, if that's the case and we can find some of these, uh, you, you find another linebacker behind uh, Antoine Simmons, who's a senior, who's who's going to be departing after next year. You find a couple guys there. Uh, Trenton Gillison's still young. We we got a lot of talent. Where if if we have a nice year this year, that can propel us into eight or nine wins in 2021, and then 2022 again is that season where the schedule lines up for us. And, you know, maybe that's the first year where we're really competing. So, um, you know, it, other than that, I mean, obviously recruiting is super important. I think in terms of recruiting, you have to find another few guys to get to the NFL. You know, we, we had Trey Waynes, Darquez Denard were first round picks. Malik McDowell was a first round pick. You know, when, when we were really humming, we had guys that were getting drafted and getting drafted pretty high. Um, 
is, I mean, obviously it's hard to tell now, but you know, is there anybody on the roster you think could be one of those guys who gets drafted and then the recruits can kind of look up to, well, Hey, they got this guy in the NFL. So, you know, I can come play for Mel Tucker, you know, play for a good program and then go to the NFL. Cause I think that's super important when you look at recruiting, when you look at propelling the program to, an, to these heights that college football playoff contender, I mean, you know, we, we you kind of touched on the skill position guys a little bit, but, you know, is there anybody else that you look at that can be that type of player that's a young guy right now? Yeah, I mean, one guy that sticks out to me, you know, looking at the coaches I'm most excited about, like Chris Kapilovich and, um, you know, you got guys like uh, Harlan Barnett coming back. So, you know, when I look at those position groups, you got a guy like Julian Barnett, who's athleticism's obviously well documented we didn't get a good look at him on defense last year because we needed him at wide receiver um, he's built like a dark west denard you know to play that system he's a lengthy corner with a lot of athleticism and you know he had a lot of hype obviously coming into michigan state so you know a guy like that if we can get that db pipeline moving again um, i think on defense that's going to attract a lot of guys and then you know on offense i think somebody that maybe had a really good season last year, but maybe a little bit overlooked because people aren't expecting a lot from this offense is Eli Collins. When you take, you know, if this offensive line coach is as good as people have said he is, and this class of 2019 offensive line takes off with Dobbs and Samack and Duplain and everybody, and then you've got a guy like Eli Collins who's already showed flashes as a redshirt freshman, you know, I think Eli Collins could be the next, I'd say Jeremy Langford anyway, if not, you know, a Le'Veon Bell. I don't know if he's, you know, got the power of a Le'Veon, but you know, he's, it's, it's easy to look past him, like I said, but I think just looking at who's going to propel over the next two to three years in this offense, I think Eli Collins is, is a great place to start. If he can hit and if this offensive line can hit, it'll take a ton of pressure off whoever's behind, you know, under center for us. So, you know, those are the guys I have my eye on. I'd say that the biggest concern I have right now is how are we going to refill our pipeline on the defensive line? Um, obviously this was a strength under D'Antonio, even when he came in, you know, in his first year, he had to go to defensive linemen and we maintained that pretty much throughout his tenure. And, you know, this year, I would say we're looking at the least preseason talent on the defensive line that I've seen. I mean, we don't know what'll happen with these guys, but you got Jacob Panashuk, who's probably our, and Naquan Jones, who are really the only guys who have shown anything to lead me to believe they could make it to the next level. And one of those guys already threatened to leave the program, you know, this off season. So how is Ron Burton, you know, going to keep that pipeline moving? Who are we going to get in the class of 2021 or hopefully the class of 2022 as 2021 is already starting to, you know, wind down. But um, those are the guys I have my eye on. Obviously the defensive line is a concern, but what are you thinking? Yeah, the D line. And, and that's kind of the last thing I want to touch on to if if we're going to truly get to that college football playoff contender heights is like you said, we've, we've always had a great D line and and that's super important in college football is if you can have a good offensive line and a good defensive line that can control the trenches and run the football in the big 10 and stop the run. And that's super important. The the D line's going to have to be good. And yeah, like you said, I mean, this is probably the weakest group we've seen in, in years um as far as just unproven guys Naquan Jones I really like but he's a senior so even if he has a great year he's out the door uh you have 
Michael Fletcher, he was a recruit. Uh, came in last year. He's a redshirt freshman. This year, I think, is probably going to be expected with a lot of playing time. I mean, he had offers from Alabama and Georgia. Like, he was, he was a pretty big-time guy. So, you know, we need a guy like that that can really step into that role and get after the quarterback and, and stop the run. And you just need a few more of those dudes who can come, come in and, and really make plays on the defensive line because – I talked about with Scotty Hazleton's system is you're pretty much running a four man front every, every play and your base defense on first and second down, he's, he's not bringing a whole lot of pressure. So you're relying on those front four guys to not only get after the quarterback, if they, if they're passing, but stop the run on first down in the big 10. And, and so the defensive line's going to be really, really important if we're going to get back to that level. And like you said, it's a, it's a lot of unproven guys that we're just not really sure, you know, what what we have in them yet. So the D line's going to be huge. Obviously, the offensive line as well. Um, but in the skill position, guys, I think there's a lot of exciting talent. The the DBs, there's there's a lot of guys. You know, like we mentioned Julian Barnett. I don't know what he's going to do. I don't know if Mel Tucker has specifically said it. You know, obviously, he hasn't gotten a chance to look at these kids in person yet. So I don't know what he's going to end up doing. I would imagine probably moving back to defense, but you know, finding a quarterback. And again, I I think. It's it's obviously not going to be the most likely situation, but I, I think there is definitely a path to getting back to that college football playoff contention. I think Mel Tucker's recruiting prowess is well known. I think that's something that on a national level that, that he is a well-respected recruiter. And so, you know, if he, he can put together a couple good wins over the next few years and, and show these kids that the process is coming together quickly, that uh, you know we continue to recruit and and we get back up to the top there and and again like you mentioned a big part of that is going to be Ohio State taking a step back as well uh, but again you know I I think there is a path to to getting back to that spot you know likely or not but um, I, I definitely think it's a possibility um, so so the second tier here is is that again it, you know kind of taking a dig on Michigan but it it, it really is that that tier where it's a good program. It, you know, nobody's going to sit here and say that, you know, oh, they're a bad team any given year. They're going to come in ranked in the preseason, you know, a, a preseason top 25 team every year. They're going to win seven to 10 games every year. Uh, that type of tier of college football team. Um, so so what what has to happen to get there? To, to at least, you know, again, get get to a point where, it's it's less than what we talked about with with truly competing for a playoff spot, but but it is at a spot where the program's in a good place where we're winning consistently and you know he, here and there we're winning rivalry games and big games against you know the class of the Big Ten. So what would be the differences between the playoff contention and this kind of step to the program over the next few years? Yeah, I think you know the biggest difference is probably just a heavy dose of realism. I think this is probably the, the most realistic expectation in, in Mel Tucker's first contract uh, to, to achieve. I mean, seven wins, certainly, but, you know, 10 wins, if we're exceeding 10 wins in his first contract, you know, I think pretty much everyone would say that's exceeding expectations given what he's inherited. hundred percent. Yeah. You know, I, I think it, it, 
not so much what's different from the playoff scenario, but just how would we get here? You know, first and foremost, we need to reestablish ourselves in in-state recruiting. I think when D'Antonio came to Michigan State, the state of Michigan was not this illustrious recruiting hotbed. And I'm not saying that's what it is now, but I think it's the last decade or so, it's certainly strengthened. And you've got, you know, Ohio State's coming up here to, to, to grab guys. You've got Penn State pretty frequently pulling guys out of Detroit and the state of Michigan. And Notre Dame's coming in. I mean, you've got really good programs. You even got some SEC schools like Tennessee and Kentucky who are starting to, you know, leave their tread, you know, in the state. So if we're getting into these higher tiers, we absolutely need to start pulling some of the better crop from our state and protecting those guys because it's, you know, going down into Ohio or further, it's that much harder to bring guys up. Um, So, and I know, you know, one of Mel Tucker's biggest uh, focuses as he, as he takes control of the program is at least to reestablish our footprint in Detroit. Um, So I think first and foremost, you know, talking about recruiting, we didn't cover this too much in the first scenario, but, Talking about recruiting, that's probably the most important thing is how are we going to start seeing eye to eye with these recruits, you know, against teams like Michigan. Obviously, if Ohio State doesn't come down, it may be hard to pull guys that they have on their target list. But are we letting, you know, are we getting any guys who are offered by Michigan? Are we getting any guys on the west side of the state who maybe Notre Dame's trying to pull? Um, You know, we need obviously the talent. Obviously, we need the schemes to work out. That's the same if we're going to win any games. But um, for when I look at that, I think that's the most important thing is just reestablishing ourselves on the Michigan recruiting circuit. Yeah. And, and like you said, I mean, realistically, the difference between a playoff contender and, and this tier is, is not huge. And, you know, it maybe comes down to a couple of the big, big time recruits or, you know, honestly, a, a few bounces here and in, in there in the first couple seasons or, you know, establishing like finding some diamond in the rough, great quarterback or something like that. But, you know, like you said, this is definitely the more realistic spot in the, in the spot where I think I could speak for most fans that I would be thrilled with. If, if you gave me a chance to, you know, a bad season is still going to a bowl game and a great season could get you to a big 10 championship game. Like I'll take that. Right. And, and like you said, I think the recruiting is going to be a big part of getting there. Um, the state of Michigan, you know, is, is super important. The city of Detroit, it, it, like you said, it, it was, it wasn't always like this and it wasn't always the spot where, where national teams are coming in and recruiting it. You got kids coming out of cast tech every year. You got kids coming out of MLK and, and all these schools that, that we have to really get back to recruiting Detroit and not letting these kids get out of town. Obviously, Flint has been Michigan State's hotbed for years. I mean, going back to ever since I can remember, we've dominated Flint. And getting Courtney Hawkins as the receiving coach, I, that's not going to change anytime soon. So I'm, I'm not worried about losing any kids from Flint. But like you said, it's, it's getting back into the Detroit market. It's getting back into to the Michigan the the state where where there has been a lot of big time recruits and you know we we landed Devonte Dobbs last year which was a big one but it's getting back to recruiting your area which is super important and we, we would all love to go down and pluck kids out of Georgia and Florida and Texas but you know as, as being realistic that's not going to happen too often so you, you got to really establish your blueprint here 
and then work down and, and try to, to make it work with a, a couple guys here and there, try to find a couple high school pipelines down south. But um, I think, again, the more realistic scenario is, is that we're a very, very strong Big Ten team that recruits locally and, and gets a couple national guys because of Mel Tucker's energy and, and his ability to recruit. Uh, but yeah, I think establishing that blue blueprint locally um, is, is going to be super important. But, um, and again, it goes back to 2020. It, it, we can't go to a three win season. I think that 2016 season showed us how, how badly that can affect a program. And obviously we came back in 2017 and won 10 games, but I, I think we really saw the effects in 2018, 2019, where you just, the stink of that 2016 season just kind of, it, it, it didn't leave the program for a few years. So if you go back and have another one of those seasons, I, I think that really starts to affect you moving forward be it with the recruits, be it with, you know, just the energy around the fans and the program. But, you know, if we're going to be at this level in the first five years, I, I really think it's important not to have one of those three or four win seasons and, and at least get five wins is, is fine by me. Getting to a bowl game would obviously be ideal, but um, you know, again, and it's, it's finding some of the young guys on the roster. It's that, that can step up. It's, it's finding a quarterback in the next couple of years and, and all of that. So I, I think the differences again are, are not huge, but it, it comes down to being probably a bit more realistic, like you said. Um, now the, the next tier here, that, that five to eight wins, you know, again, somewhere, where yeah, maybe we win a rivalry game every couple of years. Maybe we um, we can win a big game here or there. We'll get through the non-conference stuff like that. But but it's it's a place where year after year the program, the time November comes around and we're in that kind of last quarter of the season that that we're not truly contending for a, a Big Ten championship. That that we're not really in that that group. So. You know, a team that's probably going to go to a bowl game year in, year out, but but we're looking more at like a quick lane bowl and, you know, Alamo bowl, maybe an outback bowl here and there, stuff like that. So, um, you know, of course, recruiting is going to play a big part of it. But, you know, what, what are you looking at to, to kind of go from that really strong program that's, that's you know, winning double-digit games every couple of years to a team that's again going to a bowl game but but isn't really doesn't really have that energy and isn't really competing by the time November rolls around. Yeah, I mean obviously the recruiting still plays a part, but I think this one I look more at how are these coaches going to, you know, fit into the Big 10 and fit into our program. I mean, if a couple of these coaching hires specifically obviously the coordinators, you know, you look at a guy like Jay Johnson, if he doesn't pan out, if he can't get it done in the Big 10, I mean, you're, you're not going to win any of those big games and you might start dropping, you know, some of the games you quote unquote should win. You know, you look at these non-conference teams, do you lose to like a Boston college or a Boise state or something, you know, get a sour taste in your mouth early in the season and then struggle your way through, you know, hit or miss big 10 season. So I think it comes down to how, how are these coaches going to, you know, utilize our talent and how is it going to fit in the big 10? Obviously we have a lot of coaches with a, a lot of experience, uh, but, a lot of them don't have a lot of Big Ten experience. And, you know, the Big Ten plays a particular brand of football. 
um, and it, it's going to need to fit. Um, and we're going to need to obviously, like I said, make the most of our talent. So that's the, the big question mark for me is that is the offensive coordinator, you know, Jay Johnson, we talked about this a little bit before we got on here, but he's been around for about 30 years. I think he started in college as an assistant. He went down to, I think the high school ranks before coming back to, you know, college working his way up. And finally, you know, last year he, he got his first big offensive coordinator job at a power five school at Colorado. And that's not a fair assessment. I know they went five and seven. Um, he obviously didn't have any of his guys. He didn't have a lot of talent at all. Essentially all he did was, you know, get the ball to, to LaVisca Chanel as much as he could and let him do whatever he could with it. So um, it's, it's a huge question mark. Like I said, I think we're primed to do okay while we sort out our quarterback situation, because I think our offensive line is going to pan out. We have a really strong uh, stable of young running backs who have already showed spurts. So we'll have that talent, but he's also the quarterback's coach. So it all to me revolves around how is his scheme going to work in the big 10 and how is he going to develop a quarterback? And if he fails to do that, you know, I mean, to a degree that we could compete in the big 10, then I think we're looking at this tier five to eight wins, honestly, eight wins with a sputtering offense would be an achievement in itself. So I think a lot rides on that offense. And unfortunately this sounds kind of like a broken record from the Dave Warner days. So fingers crossed, he's not the next one in line. I know. And, and that's exactly where, where my head went to is, is the difference between winning nine and 10 games to winning six and seven games for Michigan state's going to come down to the offense. Because I think when you look between the two new coordinators that we hired, Scotty Hazleton, I absolutely love the hire. I, I definitely made my thoughts well known on, you know, again, if you go back and listen to, uh, a whole podcast that I dedicated to each of the coordinators, Scotty Hazelton. I absolutely love his system. I love his resume. I love his energy. I mean, everything about him. I, I really, I have a hard time seeing the defense really falling off a cliff um, to where we've always had a good defense under Mark D'Antonio. And I think that's going to continue. I'm, I'm pretty confident in saying that, um, you know, we, again, we got to, find some of the young guys on the roster to replace you know some of these we got to find a young linebacker we got to find a couple defensive linemen but you know I love the coach and I, I think that we shouldn't have too much of a problem there but yeah the biggest difference is finding an offense and the Jay Johnson again you know I, I did a whole podcast detailing my thoughts on him and what I saw and and one thing that just makes me nervous is that it took him damn near 30 years, 26 some year, odd years to get to break through to a power five offensive coordinating job. And, you know, in today's day and age where, where programs aren't afraid to go after the young up and coming guy, like they were in the past, you know, in the past, it was of course, Oh, you need to be experienced. You need to put in your time and all this kind of stuff. And now we're seeing head coaches that are like 30 years old. So if if you're really that talented and and you can get a program to believe in you you're going to get a job and the fact that he hasn't definitely makes me nervous um the fact that he hasn't is is a little bit worrisome but that's going to be the difference i agree is is can he find a quarterback can he bring this offense to a level maybe not like they were in 2014 but 
to a level where they can really hang with, you know, an, a Penn State, with a Michigan, occasionally with an Ohio State, where they can put up 35 points against a Penn State, where they can really hang in there and, and not force our defense to hold good teams under like 20 points. So, um, you know, if, if the Jay Johnson experiment fails, you know, again, you brought up Dave Warner, maybe we hang on to him too long, the loyalty comes in and we hang on to a just average offensive coordinator for too long and don't go out looking for somebody new. Um, I, I definitely think it's a realistic possibility that we fall into that pattern of just, hey, we got a great defense and we got an okay offense and it's winning us some games. So let's, let's just stick with what we got. Um, and, and I kind of talked about this as well is that one thing I'm, I'm, I am a bit nervous about because we saw that the Michigan State Athletic Department was willing to put resources into this, this staff to get Mel Tucker in and, and increase the assistant coaching budget is one thing that worries me because we've been so cheap over the last few years is that if the experiment fails early uh, to some extent, are they willing to go back and do it again, you know, or are they willing, or are they more willing to say, okay, we paid Jay Johnson over $900,000 a year, and this is what we got. It's not great. Uh, let, let's just go back to, you know, let's, let's bring that budget back down to like seven fifty. Let's hire somebody that's decent and not really go after another exciting name. So I think it is going to come down to the offense and, and if they can really perform, you know, yeah, we're, we're looking at a big time program, but if they go back to, you know, what we've been over the last couple of years, a great defense and an offense that just isn't scaring anybody. Um, I think this, this kind of tier is where we're going to land is somewhere that we're going to go to a bowl game, win six or seven games, but we're, we're not really scaring anybody in, in the national landscape. So um, and then the last one I think we'll spend a little bit of time with is, is that in the first five years that Mel Tucker is fired. I mean, I, of course, we love Mel Tucker. We love the energy. We love his social media presence. We love the recruiting and all of this stuff. I think I can speak for almost every Michigan State fan is that we're excited and there's hope in the program. But let's face it, there is a possibility that Within the first five years of his tenure, things go south and, and he gets fired. We've seen so many big-time programs that are bigger than Michigan State. Florida State with um, the troubles that they've had. USC, the troubles that they've had firing coaches and stuff. I mean, if it can happen to them, it can happen to anybody. So, you know, of course, nobody wants this to happen. But what has to happen for Mel Tucker to get fired before the, the end of his first contract? Yeah, you know, thankfully, Michigan State is different from some of those programs you named. You know, it's not a Michigan where, you know, your head coach is being judged on one or two games every year. You know, obviously, Harbaugh's not necessarily on the hot seat, but every year he's judged on what he does against Ohio State. And thankfully, while we do that to a degree with the Michigan game, I think, you know, if we won every game on our schedule other than Ohio State and Michigan every year, I don't think our coach is going anywhere. But you know, when you look at what it would take for an MSU coach to get fired, I mean, obviously you have like your, your scandals or whatnot that obviously right, nobody's yeah. immune to these days, but assuming it's, you know, based on the um, performance of the program, you know, I think the first year is pretty much 
a hall pass. I think <laughs> he could lose every game this year and and still come back the next year. Obviously, yeah, it would be terrible. I can. I think we can definitely agree. There's no chance of him getting fired after one year. That, that just no. doesn't happen. So no. And I don't think that I don't think we'll lose every game either. But even if he did, he's coming back the next year. A lot of this hope would be gone. He may even be on the hot seat, you know, going into year two. Let's say he wins one or two games in year two. Then you might have a different conversation. But, you know, assuming he makes it three, four years into his contract, you know, what's going to get him fired after that last year? And I think that's you're, – you're just going to have to be plateaued, right? You're, like, finishing in the bottom half of the division or the bottom couple spots of the division every year you're not really improving. You're not bringing talent in that's any better than the previous class. You're struggling to recruit. Um, you're not making any bowl games. I think that's, I think if he makes a bowl game in his first few years, you know, he's almost safe um, entirely. But, you know, the, the other risk with this is, you know, we talked earlier, how could we win six to seven, maybe eight games this year? There's a risk in that, in this conversation, because if you come out this year, you win seven or eight games, right? Next year, you win four. Next year, you win two. All of a sudden, you're going backwards. Whereas, you know, if you lose zero or if you win zero this year, you win two next year, you win four next year, maybe in the grand scheme of things, similar results, but you're probably more safe in a four win season in year three than if you went seven. You're at least improving. Yeah. Right. You know, so I think negative, obviously, a regressive tendency in the program would would put you at risk after a few years um obviously if we don't win any games you know two years in you're you're probably done but um that would have to be an awful scenario we talked about some of the young talent we have it's not like we're you know if, if our entire team were seniors this year and we were losing them all next year that would put us in an awkward position but honestly when you look at the rosters and the turnover we've had coming out of the last couple seasons I think this is probably the best time to get a new coach because again, you get that first year hall pass, there's no expectations and you get to, you get to develop this talent with no preconceived notions of who's going to win a position battle or anything. So he's got a clean slate. I think he's in a good place. So things I think would really have to go wrong for us to be looking at this scenario. Yeah. I mean, shit would have to go sideways completely. Right. So it's, again, it's a possibility though. I mean, one thing that, that I look at it's, we know that he has a reputation as a great recruiter and that's awesome for the program. I think that's part of the reason that Michigan state fans are so excited. And one problem with that is that if you're not a good X's nose coach, right. And you're losing games on the field. And the reason that you're in the building is to recruit when you're losing games, it's hard to recruit. Uh, That message is going to wear off pretty quickly after you know let's say again two or three years where we still haven't made a bowl game and you're going into some kid's living room I I don't care how much energy you bring and how well you can sell the program when you have no results to sell it's it's tough so when your whole reputation as a head coach is based around the recruiting aspect and you're not winning games it it really becomes difficult to recruit and so I think that's something that could definitely happen is, is something over the next few years. If, if we just aren't winning games, that message is, is really going to be hard to instill in, into recruits, uh, you know, and their parents and things like that. So, yeah, I mean, look at, you know, you look at a guy like James Franklin. I mean, obviously Penn state's a different 
uh, program. But I mean, this is guy, he's, you know, a great recruiter. He's consistently been criticized for being a horrible game manager. He's lost more than one big game for Penn state because he totally botched the game management. He's just not a great on the field coach. He's a phenomenal recruiter. He's been obviously, like I mentioned earlier, poaching recruits from Michigan and all over the Midwest. Um, but you know, if Mel Tucker turns out to be a poor man's James Franklin, you know, he's losing games on the field because he doesn't really know what he's doing on the X's and O's. His recruiting starts to fall off and we're not winning any games. I think that's where you're really going to start running into problems. Yeah. And you know, of course that, like you said, if, if, if he becomes in that mold, I think everybody would be happy, but again, James Franklin's winning nine, 10, 11 games just about every year. I mean, even as you go back to his first couple years, uh, 2014 was his first season at Penn state and he won seven games following season, won seven games. And then the year after in 2016, his third year at the program, they won 11 games and, you know, from then on, they've been really competing every single year. So, um, of course, the recruiting is huge, and and you got to win games to get those recruits. So that's a big part of it. Um, one thing that I circled is, of course, that it's going to be you. You have to basically not find a quarterback if this is going to be the case. So, you know, let's say that Peyton Thorne isn't the guy, Theo Day isn't the guy, and and Rocky Lombardi comes out and starts this year. Um, has an okay year. Let's say even if Rocky Lombardi turns out to be better than I think he is, you know, great. Okay. We go out, win a couple games this year, three, four, whatever it is. Um, and then you're basically forced to start Rocky Lombardi again next year. I, again, whatever you think about him, I, I'm not too high on him. So I, I think his ceiling is pretty clear. Um, so you go out, win another four or five games. And then you got to find a quarterback after that when you already know the guys behind him on the depth chart aren't good enough to beat out Rocky. That's not a good sign for them. Hey, we got Noah Kim coming in. He's definitely not a big time recruit. We got, um, you know, any of the 2021 guys at this point because of the way that um, there's no visits, uh, because of the, the whole basically atmosphere and environment around recruiting right now any of these guys, it's, it's hard to really count them into the equation because any of them can decommit at any given moment. So, you know, even if we do have a quarterback that's coming in that, that looks like, you know, what's uh, this kid's name, Hampton Frey, Faye, whatever it is, um, who looks like a big time name, he could decommit any moment and go somewhere else. And then we're in the same spot where we just have no quarterback. And, you know, again, you get a stale offense. We, we can't really find the, the, guys on the defensive line that can really bring us back and and I, I think there is a path and it all starts with the offensive side of the ball that that you know again if you can't find a quarterback it's hard to win and if you can't field a good offense it's hard to win especially in the Big Ten East which is arguably the most competitive conf uh, division in football other than the SEC West so um, it's going to come down to the offense and recruiting but of course we don't want to look at this scenario, but it is a, a possibility. It's one of the possibilities that he doesn't make it out of the first contract. And I think that would be a huge part of it. Yeah. Yeah. And again, I mean, this is, it comes down for me to how are these coaches going to work out? How is the recruiting going to pan out over the next two to three years? Cause these are going to be the guys that we're building the program around and how, 
you know, does the on-field execution work out? We have what we think are some talented position groups. You look at the receivers, you look at the offensive line, you look at the running backs, that's essentially almost an entire offense. So um, that side of the ball could be okay, better than expected, you know, assuming we find something at quarterback. The defense, maybe not as much talent, but I think probably a better set of coaches on that side of the ball. So obviously all these factors are playing into it. I think you lose two out of three of those factors, whether it's recruiting, coaching, or, you know, execution, you could be looking at losing a significant portion of your games and potentially losing the coach after during the first contract. But again, you know, I think those middle two are probably the most likely somewhere between five to 10 wins as an average. Um, and, and those factors obviously will play into where that average falls in there. But um, you know, there's some exciting things. Again, I think, like you said, there's been some group think over the last two, three months since, you know, Mel came to town that, you know, everybody's kind of taken a year off from putting pressure on the program, which is great. I think it's great to have a low pressure environment for, you know, a first year coach, but um, I think it's, it may be lulling us into, you know, a false sense that we're going to be worse than or better than what, what people are now expecting. So hopefully that's the case. Hopefully it's not just green colored glasses. Um, I'm excited to see what happens here. Um, and, and hopefully, like you said, uh, Lombardi does not end up under center. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, we'll talk about quarterbacks more later on. We, we got an idea to, to really break down the quarterbacks in a little bit of a different way than, um, you know, some of the just traditional positional breakdown stuff. But before we get out of here, uh, if you have to bet a, a paycheck, so if, if I forced you to bet a paycheck and I said, over the next five years that we're going to land in one of these four, again, the first being truly competing for a college football playoff by the end of uh, Mel Tucker's first five years. Second being, you know, we're in that seven to 10 win seasons uh, where we're, the, the program is in a really strong place, but maybe we're not really competing for a playoff spot. Third being, you know, hey, we're going to bowl games. We're, in, we're okay, but, you know, nothing really exciting or special or that he's fired, what, what would you put your paycheck on of, of those four tiers? <laughs> you know, like I said, it's between the middle two. Um, I think we still have enough residual effect from the, you know, the 2013 to 2015 run uh, that's fresh in recruits minds enough. And we've got a good enough coaching staff. I think we're, I'm going to go on to the higher one, seven to 10 wins a year. You know, we're competing in our rivalry games. We're winning most of our, you know, lower tier big 10 games. We're winning two or three um, non-conference games a year, hopefully three, and and we're making big bowl games. I'm not saying we're making the Rose Bowl every year, but you know you're looking at not you know the Pinstripe Bowl, you know not the Holiday Bowl. Maybe I, I guess that was a ten-win season, but yeah. I think that's where I'd put us. Um, hopefully higher, hopefully not any lower. Um, but yeah, I think I'd go that seven to ten wins. Yeah, I I think I'd be in the same boat. I mean, the the program, like you said, I mean, we've talked about Mel Tucker, the recruiter, and I think that can be huge for getting us to that level. There's, you know, I think quite a lot of energy around the program right now with with the new hire. And, um, you know, like I said, I love the defensive coordinator, coordinator hire. So I think he can find a couple of these young guys and, and develop that. Um, there's been a lot of money poured into the program recently. The, you know, athletic department seems willing to really invest in the football program. So 
Um, I, 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 I really think if, if I had a better paycheck, that that would be the, the spot. Like you said, it probably comes down to those middle two, but you know, I, I prefer to be a little bit more on the optimistic side and that, you know, maybe we're competing for a big 10 every few years and, you know, we're getting to November still in the mix and, that would be, I, I think, where we can realistically expect to end up. You know, the more that you read into these coaches and what they like and, and you look into the – really, you know, like we said, the offensive line talent is there. You just have to find some guys, and, and it comes down to finding a quarterback at the end of the day. So, you know, we got to find one. But, um, I, you know, like, like to look at things a little more optimistically in an ideal world. So um, that's, that's what we got here today. Uh, thank you so much for listening. Of course, uh, we'll be back again later this week. Um, I, I have a couple ideas. I don't know exactly where I'm going to land. Um, we did a, a, a mailbag, so that's definitely going to be in the mix. Um, everybody who asked questions, thank you so much. We're, we're definitely going to get to that. Uh, we got a lot of fun stuff coming up, so make sure you subscribe. Make sure you check out standingroomsports.com. We got some some good stuff coming up there. I'm definitely going to get more into writing here this summer. Um, we, we got a lot of good stuff coming up. So make sure you subscribe. Make sure you tell all your Spartan friends and family. I uh, really appreciate the support. Follow Twitter at Standing Room MSU. Um, we got a lot of fun stuff going on there too. We got some Twitter polls, uh, some things that will be coming up the pipeline. So thank you so much for listening. Scott, thank you so much for coming on. And Take care, folks. Have a great day.